begin with a question for you all. Uh, namely, when people say, get a life, what is, what is the, what's the concept of life that's operating in that? In that? What, what, are they, what are they saying you're supposed to get if, if you were to get a life? And what, why, what are they addressing in you that seems to lack that? So got any ideas? Yeah. Uh, uh, Penny? Yeah. Get something with meaning. Uh, do something. Meaning. Okay. Yeah, maybe a person who's not doing anything at all. Uh, Behave in a better way. Behave in a better way. Okay. Um, any other options? I mean, that, that sounds as though the, the exhortation might be keep the law. Keep the law of God. <laughs> I don't think, I, somehow I wonder whether that's what people mean when they. I think of it as like expand your world. Expand your world. Don't think so inwardly, think outwardly. Yeah. Expand your world. Be, uh, okay. Um, any other thoughts? Find something to love. Boy, Jim, you are so pious. <laughs> you, you have all these Christian answers. <laughs> and, and I just. I just wonder whether those are the uh, stuff we're going on in the mind of people who say, get a life. <laughs> Seems to me, uh, well, I looked it up on uh, Google. <laughs> and it says, your life is too boring. Do something interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, that was kind of the, the gist of it, uh, uh, that, that Google thought uh, was going on. Anyway. The, uh, the Bible has a very definite conception of life, and it's a lot more like Jim's, actually. <laughs> um, so uh, I want to address, or I want to kind of present to you three thoughts about the law. Um, and uh, they are these. First, the law is a kind of blueprint. It's like a, a guide, a map, a sketch, an outline, a perspective, an order for living a true human life. That's what, it, that's what it's originally aimed at, and that's what Jesus Christ represents. Uh, when he is said to be the, the final end of the law, the, uh, the goal of the law. This map, this, this sketch, this outline, can function as such. This is the second thesis. <laughs> uh, this map can function as such only if it's printed on our hearts, only if, if, it's, if it's kind of etched into us in some way. And what the way in which it's etched in is to be etched into our minds, our hearts. The New Testament has two words that are prominent for mind or heart. Nous, which Aristotle took to be the intellect, that's the way it's translated in 
translations of Aristotle, and cardia, which you, you can hear the word cardiac for something in that. Um, so mind and heart. And these, these two, in the New Testament, these are not you know, separate faculties. It's not as though you have to choose between your mind and your heart <laughs> or something. But ra rather, the mind, we're, I'm going to read a scripture passage in which it, this becomes clear, but um, the mind uh, contains desires, emotions, and the heart contains thoughts. Um, Simeon says to, to Mary, the mother of Jesus, the hearts out of many will be revealed. The thoughts, no, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, sorry. Um, okay, so that's the second thesis. It needs to be, the law needs to be, this outline needs to be um, written upon our hearts. And then the third thesis is that that integration of the mind and the heart uh, that carries this, this outline, this sketch, is the virtues <laughs> that are listed in the New Testament. Uh, you find these lists, in, especially in Colossians 3 and in uh, Galatians 5, uh, but throughout the, you find them. And those, um, e each one of those, if you look at your handout, I've, I've tried to sketch how each of those is a, um, is a kind of a disposition of the heart that is in response to, or that's shaped like the law. It's not, not exactly a response to the law, to the written code necessarily, but it's, uh, it's a, it has the shape of the of the law so um, now I want to sketch the minds of two characters each of these minds uh, this mind heart this combination each of these minds um, represents an outlook or a, a, uh, a different sketch of life, a different understanding of life. And I want to, the, the point I want to make is that this radically changes the life, <laughs> the way you think about life, the, way, the kind of mind you have, uh, the way in which this map of what, what life means has been printed on you uh, makes a big difference in your character. So the first one I call Robbie Bob, this character. He says, other people are very important in my life. They serve to give me pleasure, for example, sexual pleasure. I like them when they're inferior to me. I like having power over them. I like it when they envy and admire me. Money and wealth serve all these ends, so getting money and wealth for myself is a big goal of my daily life. My ability to enjoy these goods, of course, depends on my staying out of trouble. 
if I'm in jail or in disrepute in the minds of the people who are to serve me by giving me pleasures, superiority, power, and admiration, that's very, very bad. Very bad. On the other hand, there's no limit to what I'll do, provided that it doesn't get me in trouble or prevent me from getting what's good for me. Truth is really a scam and a hoax that people use to limit one another's powers and options. So I talk a lot about truth and accuse my enemies of lying. This talk helps me get other people on board my agenda. But I know it's true meaning. I have no respect for people either. Not even the people who give me my pleasures and do my bidding. Really caring about truth and respecting other people for their sake is for suckers and losers. It's true, of course, that I often have to make people think I'm respectful, at least to them, because otherwise I might lose the goods I get from them. I am open to defrauding, defaming, and debauching people to get pleasure and power for myself. I'm open to threatening people who are disloyal to me and to destroying people I don't like, but only if I think I can get away with it. I don't always get away with it. Sometimes people stand in my way. They stand in the way of my superiority, my power, and my reputation. But this too can be an occasion for a very great pleasure, getting revenge on them. Even though it's compensatory, my getting even, or <laughs> even more than even, with people who oppose me is a great good, one of the chief pleasures of my life. Revenge is very sweet. So that is Robbie Bud's take on life. It's his, his outline. <laughs> it's the shape of his mind on the question, what, what is it to live a life, right? What is it to, to live a good life? And then we have a character that I call Donnie John. Uh, he says, God is the source of everything and the authority over everything. God created me and everything else, so we human beings are beholden to God for everything we have and are. But in Jesus Christ, God visited us in the most intimate and self-giving way. He became one of us, lived a life of service to us, died for our waywardness, and rose from the dead as the harbinger of the general resurrection and the coming age in which God will be properly recognized and honored by all creation. Our proper response to this grace is gratitude. And being grateful, we want to return to God some token of recognition for his generosity. We do this by loving and serving others in some way distantly similar to the generosity of our God. For us, other people are precious beings whose well-being and pleasure are worth pursuing for their own sake. It's true that other people provide many services for us, and we do enter into transactions with, for such services, but people's fundamental value for each of us who think as disciples of Jesus 
is not their utility, their usefulness to us, but their good for their sake. We respect them as beings just like ourselves. That's why we try hard not to deceive others, but speak the truth to them. Whatever material goods we have accumulated, whatever time and talent and energy and reserves of attention we have, com have command over is to be shared with others for their good. And then he goes on and says, I speak of what we're called to and what we endeavor to be. We often fall short of what this gratitude entails. We fall back into seeing others as devices of our own pleasures, profits, and self-importance. We manipulate them for fu by fudging on truth. Sadly, we sometimes see people as obstacles in the way of our projects and become resentful and hostile and harsh to them. On those who are hostile to us, we feel impulses to, to revenge sometimes. If we stay aware of our indebtedness to God's grace by um, uh, by regular celebration of it, of God's grace, and, and prayers expressing our gratitude, such alienating acts attitudes make us deeply uncomfortable with ourselves. We then find comfort in reflecting that God's generosity extends even to us as sinners and graciously calls us back from our selfishness, our pride, and our alienation from one another. And so gradually we become more consistently grateful and generous. And in consequence, more respectful, compassionate, truthful, and forgiving. So that's the mind of um, Donnie John. Um, and you can see that in Donijan still has in him some of some of what you see see so so blatantly in Robbie Bud, um, but his his attitude toward it is quite different. His emotional attitude is not wholehearted endorsement, <laughs> which is what uh, uh, Robbie Bud feels, but um, but it's kind of contrition. He's, he's, he's sorry about that. It's a, it eats him. It eats at him. And so he returns to God's generosity as a uh, salve for that. Uh, and, not, and not just a salve, but, a, but an impetus towards improvement. Uh, an impetus towards uh, those virtues of grace that are the characteristic and characterize the New Testament. Um, now, to go back to the question about life, um, the Bible distinguishes between life that is death, Paul 
talks about this body of death, this albatross that's hanging, this dead albatross that's hanging around my neck, if you remember the, the poem. Um, this body of death, and it's, he's fighting with it, right? He's, uh, he's, not, he's not completely free from it yet. Uh, and so he's 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 uh, he distinguishes between being dead in your trespasses and sins uh, and life. But God, who is rich in mercy, he says, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. So, so there's something, some kind of a transition there has, has occurred between being dead and being alive, being raised, raised from the dead. And Moses puts this uh, in direct uh, uh, connection with the law. And in uh, Deuteronomy 30, where he says, where after he's, he's kind of summing summing things up, he's, he's uh, laid out all the, the law of God. <clears throat> he says, the Lord God will bring you into the land that your ancestors possessed, and you will possess it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. So there's this, this uh, order of peace, of shalom, of well-being, of prosperity, of, of uh, flourishing life that, is, that Moses is promising to people who keep the law. And then we have Jesus in the uh, Gospel of John. These are just a few examples, but he says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And he spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Right? The light of life. It's as though there's the law is a kind of light. <laughs> it, it throws light on life and shows what real life is and invites you to participate in it. Uh, it invites you to live. Um, now the third thing I near, had here was a little meditation on um, <coughs> Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2. So in the first 11 chapters of, of Paul's letter to the Romans, he gives the richest account in all of his letters of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has revealed himself, he says, in a new way, embodying God's law, in the perfectly obedient life of Jesus, thus casting light on our deep disobedience 
and so on our shortfall from living the truly human life that is sketched in that law. God offers us the life that is in, that is in Jesus by a kind of friendship and proxy. So he, he's kind of our representative, he's also our friend, and we, we have this regular fellowship with, with him by trusting in him and by his lovingly dwelling in us, by our becoming slaves of his righteousness and so finding true freedom. We exist in the Spirit by setting our minds on the things of the Spirit, whether we are Jews or Gentiles. And there's that, that there in Romans 8, there's that, that emphasis on the mind. Uh, but setting your mind <laughs> on the things of the Spirit, keeping that, keeping those, those pure things, those good things, those, those beautiful things of, of, of the gospel, front and center in your mind. Uh, whether we're Jews or Gentiles. Then in chapter 12, Paul begins a section on what, it, what, what this means for daily living, right? Daily Christian living. And he says, starts out, well, it's actually the second word in the text, but I put it first here, <laughs> just for emphasis. Therefore, he says, so sweeping all those first 11 chapters into this therefore, Therefore, brothers and sisters, I appeal to you by God's compassion to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. It's your bodies, right? He says, sometimes translated your bodies, but it's really just investing your, your whole self, giving yourself as a, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And that notion of reasonable service, it's uh, the Greek word is logikos, which logic from which we get logic. <laughs> so it's it's uh, it's just reasonable that in the light of all that God has done for us, we give ourselves. God has given himself to us in generosity, we give ourselves to others in generosity, but out of gratitude to God. So there's this, this dialectic of gratitude and generosity that is the very hinge of, of the Christian mind. This is the way we think. Right? We think gratitude and generosity. That's, and then he goes on to say, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And there's one of those Greek words, there's a noose word, the word for intellect. Um, so be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. So by, by um, integrating that, um, that sketch, you might say, of, of the world, of, the, of life, into your mind, by, by taking that in, making that an inclination of your heart and your thinking, then you become able to, to really discern what's good and what's what's not. 
we, I think we look back on Robbie Budd and we think, that is really screwed up. I mean, that <coughs> he, he's got his values all twisted and turned upside down. He doesn't know what's good. He doesn't know, he, he doesn't know what's good for him. I mean, he's, he talks about what's good for him all the time, but <coughs> he doesn't know. He's not, he has no discernment. And it's because his heart is in the wrong place. Because his whole thinking is screwed up. Um, so, so, I think you could say that those, those, um, those virtues, uh, they're on your handout, joy, compassion, generosity, forgiveness, forbearance, loyalty, and so forth, all of those, they're all forms of generosity. Right? They're all they're all forms of generosity and gratitude. So uh, they're. Uh, I mean, and and the the difference between them is primarily uh, that the the difference in situations to which they're applicable. So that compassion is. Uh, is applicable to places, to times when someone is suffering, and uh, forgivingness is is adaptable to uh, times when um, somebody has offended you or done something, and forbearance is is generosity towards a uh, burdensome neighbor, <laughs> shall we say, and so on. So you can kind of go through the whole list and see. How they're all forms of love. I mean, generosity is just this sort of expansive giving out, giving yourself uh, attitude, and it's in response to the grace of God. So I'd be happy to have uh, responses, thoughts <coughs> to this. I think we've got a mic here. Oh, we, oh you've got one. Okay, great. Does it make sense that uh, um, a crucial difference between Christians and constitutional non-Christians is that they, is the way they think? lists for me are directly connected to the Lord's commandment of love. And I'd never yeah. seen that before. I, oh, good. And you memorize I mean, those, you play around with those, but it's a brilliant application and connecting all of them to love. So I thank you for that. Is that original you. to you? Did you cook um, that up? It's well, I worked it out. Yeah, it's I fantastic. I'm, I'm deeply grateful. Yeah, so it, it just unifies the New Testament for me, the epistles. Yeah. And the gospel says never before, so thank you. Yeah. And of course, uh, the summaries of the law also unify the whole law. So you, if you look at Leviticus um, 19, you've got not only you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but you've also got don't trim your beard uh, so that your, your face is circular and, and <laughs> little, little laws like that, you know. 
I mean, that's right there in the law. But, but you need a hermeneutical principle to, to, uh, to sort that out and see I mean, uh, whether that's essential or whether it's kind of peripheral or maybe a little bit cultural or something. But um, yeah, so, so when you can reduce the law, or not exactly reduce it, but uh, find the essence of it in the love for God and neighbor, then you, you've got this, this kind of unity. It's all, it, 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 hang, it all hangs together just beautifully. And then, yeah, they have all these virtues are just ways of, of kind of internalizing that. Bob, I'm looking at your first question there. Uh, what is the law? And I'm hoping you'll answer that for me. Okay, yeah, uh, that's, in a way that the whole series is designed for that, but, but I would think that we need to distinguish between the kit, the code, right, just the written words, the lists of do's and don'ts, and the intention behind those. Then I think that's given to us in the summary. Um, so what is the law? My answer in this in this talk was that it's this sketch of life. What 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 life is about? Um, that that is a is a kind of vision, right? It's um, in a part that I didn't present. I I talk about going driving along a mountain road, and you uh, you stop at a scenic outlook, and you you step out to the railing, and you you look out, and you see oh you know a church, a, a village. Uh, a town hall, a field of agriculture, a forest. You see all these different things. But you're t sort of taking them in from this, this single perspective. It's, it's your outlook. And then you can drive down the road a few miles, and there's another outlook. <laughs> and you can look out over what is partly the same territory, um, but you're seeing it from a very different angle. And uh, so you have a different perspective. And that's kind of a, a metaphor for the Robbie Bud, Donnie John. <laughs> they see things from different perspectives, right? They see much, much of what they see is the same thing, right? They see, I mean, commerce is something that's in, in all of us, in, in all of our lives. We buy things, we sell things, we earn money, and so forth. But the meaning of all that is, is quite different in those two outlooks. They, they're sort of seeing trade and commerce and, and money getting and money spending and so forth in different ways. Uh, and so the law is, is, a, is, this, is a perspective on life. That's, that's sort of my thesis. Yeah, I think it, it sounds to me like you're describing the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Uh, and um, there's another law out there that Paul talks about that isn't quite what you're describing. Is that right? Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Okay. The law... Um, well, I, I'm not sure... Uh, you know, Christ represents the law. He embodies the law. As he, it, uh, in the sense of the will of God for, for living. Uh, so, in a sense, when Jesus says, I am the light of life, he's reflecting back what Moses thought the law was, right? It was the light that would give light, would, would give life. And, uh, and now Jesus does it, embodies it in his own person, whereas uh, sin came in between, as, uh, as Paul says in Romans 7. So the, law, the law is holy and good and perfect and, and not to be revised, uh, as Jesus points out in, the, in um, Matthew 5. Um, but but we don't, our, our, if we just sort of take a sinful attitude towards the law, if we come, come at it with our sinful disposition, then when the law says don't covet, it makes me covet all the more, as Paul says. Um, but Christ, nevertheless, is light. And I think that, that contrast between the spirit, the, the, um, the law of the spirit, the spirit is, of course, the spirit of Jesus, right? I mean, it's the spirit of Jesus Christ in the church. So um, the law of the spirit is, is the heart of Jesus, you might say. I think real quickly three things occur. Uh, one is, uh, a, just from a, a neuroscience perspective, we, I noticed that uh, Robbie Budd's discourse there had all the linguistic markers of that less sophisticated part of our brain, the oh. left hemisphere, off on its own okay. without, the, without going back into the integration of the whole brain. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I it's find it's all in. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> things to be manipulated, which is wonderful. That's fantastic. That's a wonderful consciousness. The ability to do things is a wonderful gift from God. Yeah. But it, it all has to integrate back into that more holistic vision. Detached yeah. on its own, it becomes a, a terrible thing. Yeah. Another thing, yeah, I'm, I'm also very confused when I read Torah, that, uh, especially like the holiness codes in Deuteronomy, because I think what to us seem like overarching abstract principles and then little formative spiritual practices are all like lumped together in the same, sometimes in the same sentence. Now our Jewish brothers and sisters understand that and their formative practices have adapted over time. And for us Anglicans, well, we know all about little formative spiritual practices as well. So that might be a useful way to engage some of those passages. And finally, I just can't help thinking of uh, I am the way, Torah, both the truth and the life, both uh, the yeah. word and the flesh, yeah. the embodiment. Yeah, John's gospel is just wonderful. Um, this kind of thing. Thank you.
not sure who originated this, but in my evangelical upbringing, I was taught that love is a verb. <laughs> and um, I think that the way that you've laid this out makes love actionable. Ac uh, can you explain just a little more what you mean by actionable? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think as I look through the, the virtues, there's something that I can do about them. I can figure out how to love my neighbor who is in trouble. I can figure out how to love my neighbor in small gestures. Um, I think that in our culture, the word love has taken on affiliations with February 14th and you know, red and yeah. pink hearts, and um, and we know we know that it's much more than that. We know yeah. that there's there's things about loyalty and commitment, but but I think that this um, maybe extraction or um, differentiation gives the ability to uh -huh. do actions that yeah. are love. Yes, I think one of the one of the values of uh, thinking about the virtues in the Christian church uh, is that it kind of gets you down into the nitty-gritty of how, how, uh, how the, the mind of the Christian works um, and, and you know, how, how, you, how you implement love. I think that's maybe what you mean by actionable. <laughs> yeah, good. Thank you. That's good. Great. Dr. Roberts, what would you say is um, how does one change the way that they think to be more in line with generosity, gratitude? How does one become more generous? How, if, if the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is how they think. And I kind of think of your, your two examples. Uh -huh. um, maybe there's sort of a spectrum there and even a spectrum beyond both of them. How do you sort of change, how does one change how they think to be more in line with? Oh, yeah, okay. Well, there's a long tradition in uh, Christianity of meditating, meditating on the, on the law, all right, or meditating on the gospel, just, just thinking, thinking hard about it, absorbing that, uh, making it a daily practice to, to think hard <laughs> about well, I mean, you could you could take any of these these virtues. You could think, you know, there's a lot of literature actually on on thanks Thanksgiving on on uh, gratitude, and you one of the ideas is that you keep a gratitude journal. You write you write down all the things that you're grateful for, or you go through a little exercise at night and you you try to think of all the all the events in the, in that life or the people for whom you're grateful, or to whom you're grateful. Five minutes, good. Thank you. Uh, and, and that, I mean, it, it's uh, empirically, it's been empirically shown that that actually makes people more grateful. Uh, and uh, I would think that uh, the other virtues could be, um, could be, uh, cultivated by the same kind of strategy, 
for example, if joy is love to your neighbor and it's good fortune, just rejoicing with those who rejoice, and maybe also uh, grieving with those who grieve, um, then meditating on other people's good fortune and and trying to see the good in those things. <laughs> uh, it's easy. It's not too hard with your with your own family uh, to rejoice in your children's successes and, and so forth. But it, maybe it's a little harder, especially if you're a little at odds with somebody, to rejoice in his good and uh, and just just making yourself think about what it is for that good to be. His, you know, for for that person to have been blessed in that way, and and try to see the goodness in it, you, I think you would succeed, and and that would shape the heart. Yeah, would you see a role for the Holy Spirit in that, in the changing the thinking and? Yeah. yeah. Well. As I, I see it, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. It's the character of God. So, I mean, just as our spirit, our spirit is our character, uh, the Holy Spirit is God's character. And uh, when we worship God, if we really get engaged in, in the worship and we're really, you know, adoring the Lord and being thankful to him and and praising his greatness with with our hearts then we are in the spirit right that's the, the his spirit is in, is in communion with our spirit in that case um, we we call the service of the eucharist communion uh, because it is us communicating with god giving thanks Eucharist to to God. Um, so it's that it's that interaction between us and God in worship that uh, rubs off on us, I think, and, and forms us, forms our minds and our hearts. Uh, that, does that make sense? Maybe one more. Logikos, I had never noticed that one in Romans 12, but it strikes me that there's quite a beautiful connection between that word and the logos that appears in John 1. And so by presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, we can sort of participate in the order and wisdom that is found in Christ. Yeah, that's right. So thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, the, w the word for reasonable service is something like logikos liturgia. Lit so the word liturgy is actually in that uh, in that passage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's your logical worship. That's right. It's yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much for conversation.